even if I buy all the farm's produce from a small producer, and we do this in many occasions, I'd love to be able to go to his neighbor and buy that too. But my problem is lack of demand at that level. Not lack of demand for Columbia coffee, that's fine, but lack of demand at a sustainable level. Maybe the most efficient industrial producers or countries can survive, but I would ask you, is that a vision for the future of coffee cultivation and coffee culture? That's the next step. So people are going to want to know how much did the producer make, and they are wanting to know now, and that is not going to go away. And the big companies are going to have to adjust to that. Hi, welcome to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. Whether you're an independent cafe operator or a CEO of an international chain, each episode brings you business lessons, inspiring stories, and lots of thought leadership. Today, we're going to get an overview of the business of green coffee. How does a coffee bean get from a farm into our daily cup? We're going to understand why Brazil is able to produce coffee at a profit while many other coffee-producing countries struggle. How are we going to maintain customer choice given that farming isn't financially sustainable for many? To get answers for these questions, we're going to hear from Pablo Garcia, Chief Operations Officer for Neumann Gruppe. We'll also hear from Ricardo Pereira, Chief Operating Officer at Ally Coffee, But we're starting off our green coffee journey with Stephen Hurst, founder of Macanta, a green coffee provider. Stephen began his career at J. Arendt Company, a commodities trading firm that was later bought by Goldman Sachs. Stephen founded Macanta in 1996 and today imports from up to 20 coffee producing countries and distributes from nine warehouses around the world. In today's interview, Stephen talks logistics of green coffee. He brings us high up into the slopes of an Andean mountain range and shows us how a single bean makes its way down to a shipping container ready for export. He also touches on how and why Macanta manages currency risk, the impact of COVID, and the key challenges of scaling specialty coffee to bring more benefit to more farmers. I'm here today with Stephen Hurst, who's the CEO and founder of Macanta. Now, a lot of our listeners won't be experts on green coffee. I wonder if you could just sketch out what the supply chain looks like from the picker to the roaster. I can tell you, Jeffrey, it's one of the most interesting parts of my job is to be at that source farm. Let's call it a place called Ural in Colombia, which is actually quite isolated. It's way up in the mountains and far away from anywhere. The farm may have a family living there and the pickers will often be perhaps Uh, family members or some other neighbors from the community. Coffee grows on a shrub, a tree, and they're in Colombia. They're picked by hand. So the path would go from that small farm picking the coffee and processing it in a small washing tank. That cherry is squashed. It's squeezed, pulped, you could say. The, The green bean that's been squashed has like a paper around it. It's called parchment or pergamino in Spanish. And that parchment is how the coffee is then sold and traded internally. And Colombia is a place where the grower is quite well guaranteed a price. It's almost like a petrol station. The the grower can pitch up with uh, four or five bags of this so-called parchment, and he can see the price that the co-op or that the mill or that the private guy will pay him for his bag. 
and he'll get paid pretty much then and there. That coffee then needs to be processed to be exported because it's got the, the skin or the paper around it. And a mill will take care of that. The mill might be in the countryside. It might be in the city. It might be a co-op's own mill. It might be a private mill. In Colombia, it could be the government's mill from the federation. That will turn it into the green bean. And in our industry and specialty, it will be very, very highly sorted and very, very highly selected with lots of the defects removed. What are the defects? Beans that are black, uh, beans that are insect bitten, beans that are partly black, bits and pieces that get into the process like little twigs and things like that. So that's then prepared and put into a sack. And then that has a liner in it, which is usually Grain Pro or some kind of like a, a plastic liner to preserve the green bean inside the bag. That then is put inside a container. And at this point, a lot of coffee for the industrial business is shipped in bulk. It's poured into the container loose and poured out at the other end into a silo. It's not in bags that people see hanging up in cafes. That gives us a really good understanding of the whole coffee supply chain. I'm also wondering how the COVID pandemic has affected your green coffee sales. It went totally off the cliff in, in April, recovered quicker than I thought in May, and stayed at a steady May, June, July, August, September for the last five or six months. We've got a, what we would call a plateau recovery. And that is not back to where we were before or where we should be. Uh, approximately what percentage? I'm going to say we're, we got back to 75%, but Jeffrey, I can't exaggerate enough how ill-distributed that is. And I mean that neighboring roasters, one could be more busy than ever before, and the guy next door half as busy as he was before. The way that it's split out in the chain is really incredible from one place to another. The UK market is now operating at about what we would hope to get. The Middle Eastern market is ahead. The European continental market, which is separate for us, is operating quite close to targets. But meanwhile, the Asian business for us and our North American business are operating at about half of what they should be. So globally, if you see, the number comes to about 75%. But it's dramatically different between geographies. How much does the dollar impact your business? I might look at the coffee price, the commodity price for coffee once a day or something just to more or less know where it is. But for me, a far bigger and a far more important factor is the currency because everything in our business is traded in U.S. dollars. And those U.S. dollars then are going to be converted into the currency that our clients are using. We find this extremely important that I want to be able to sell the Canadian roaster in Canadian dollars. That's the revenue he's going to get, and I will take that risk away. I'll say that this is the Canadian dollar price. Then I've removed entirely the currency risk for that artisan operation because the dollar movements against currencies are massive, and they can lead to tremendous shocks, as happened with the Brexit vote and as happened with this COVID. There was another big currency shock, and this comes as a terrible shock to people who suddenly realize they've paid a product in dollars that just cost them 10 or 15% more than they thought because they got to pay in pounds. And how do you manage your own currency risk? Before Mercanta, I worked at a big investment bank, and I learned an awful lot there about risk management, which uh, I've been able to apply to this business. And in our small way, we don't trade anything in the commodity coffee market, but I trade sometimes some reasonably sophisticated stuff in the currency market because it's critically important to what we do. I mean, it's a complex area, but is coffee a sustainable business for 
people at origin. The answer to that is slightly elusive, but it can be. But I'm afraid in when we speak about the sustainability of coffee production, what we offer and what other companies in specialty offer are what we would call market access. In other words, the small grower that we used as our example in Colombia, just by example, if he has decommoditized his business and he grows 150 bags a year, and that 150 bags has a channel completely outside the local commodity market channel, then he will be able to realize a uh, consistently living, make some investments, family investments, farm investments, social investments, whatever. So the answer to your question is absolutely it's sustainable, but it tends to be on a scale that people aren't comfortable with. And this I mean that we can only support five farms in an area, but there's probably 50 farms that are doing somehow more or less the same thing. 50 farms with the potential of growing really fine coffee, but only there's a market only for five because the market is so price-driven that the others are selling their coffee into the sort of what we call the bulk, you know, into the into the mix, and they have to live and die with the with whatever the price is. I would love for there to be more demand that we could buy more. And even if I buy all the farm's produce from a small producer, and we do this in many occasions, I'd love to be able to go to his neighbor and buy that too. But my problem is lack of demand at that level. Not lack of demand for Columbia coffee, that's, that's fine, but lack of demand at a sustainable level. Really appreciate your time, Stephen Hurst from Macanta. Been a pleasure to be involved. Next up, we're hearing from Pablo Garcia, Chief Operations Officer for Neumann Gruppe, the holding company of Neumann Café Gruppe. It accounted for 9% of the world's coffee consumption in 2019. Their activities stretch all the way across the entire coffee supply chain, from owning farms in Mexico, Uganda and Brazil, to operating its own mills, to exporters, and running specialty coffee importers such as Atlas Coffee Importers and the Inter-American Coffee Group. In this conversation, Pablo gives an update on today's green coffee market and his views on what drives coffee commodity pricing. Pablo also lays out what will happen to the coffee in our cups if we don't make the business of growing coffee economically viable for farmers. Welcome, Pablo. Yeah, well, thanks, Jeffrey, for having us today with you. What are the big issues for our industry in terms of getting and guaranteeing supply across the world? On the production side this year, what we saw in the first quarter was the tail end of the last year's washed Arabica coffees coming from Central America, Africa, through without real distortion. Mm. And since the middle of the year, actually starting with June, July, we're experiencing a record Brazil crop with excellent qualities, which really find its way into the markets. And that has put a lot of pressure on the price levels. That effect, I would suggest, is mainly seen in the futures markets because differentials for washed Arabica coffees have been trading at a large premium, tending to reflect both higher production costs But in many cases, these price levels are already below full cost of production. Now, if you look ahead the last quarter of the calendar year and maybe into the first quarter 21, new crop in Central America and Colombia is just starting and the effect of the pandemic and the recent weather calamities in Central America are yet to be felt. So there may be possible disruptions in the cards. 
And for sure, a continuation of these low prices may create a vicious cycle leading to loss in diversity of origins, which cannot compete. And the fact of diversity is really very important for the quality in the copland. What are the fundamental things that set the price of coffee on a global scale? Well, supply and demand, definitely. Fundamentals apply very much. Coffee is a lifestyle product, but at the same time, it is trading as a commodity in the futures market. So the futures markets had a common denominator, like a basis for the price levels. Again, that is just a standard. Above that, you will find what we call the differentials above the futures price, which show the appreciation for a certain quality at a given time. That sets basically the price. And then because coffee is traded as a commodity in the futures market, you have also investment funds participating in the market. That leads sometimes to extremes in price gyrations and volatility, making coffee business at times rather unpredictable. And that is for a producer, evidently, uh, who carries a tree crop that makes it difficult to plan ahead. You know, there's a lot of people out in the industry that say the coffee farming, we're actually selling below the production price. And really, there's not good livelihoods there for farmers. Is there reality in that? And if so, what are the solutions to making farming coffee something that can provide enough profits and livelihoods to make it worthwhile? Coffee is a traditional product. It's been grown over centuries. But in order to maintain that culture, we need to look at the level of income. Definitely. That is a challenge. So basically, and I can only answer in terms of price constellation for the future, I would want to focus on the green coffee prices. Today, in many countries, prices are below full cost of production. Yes, maybe you are covering your variable costs or picking costs barely, but that is not an avenue for the future. Coffee prices must be remunerative to coffee farmers and, above all, also attractive to the next generation, to the youth of coffee producers. You know, we cannot expect an industry to thrive if the basis of it, the producer, is not making a decent return on his efforts and investment. At today's prices, I don't see this happening on the long run. Mm. Concentration of production to a few producing countries shall even create higher dependency on those and volatility, both in prices and supply. So maybe the most efficient industrial producers or countries can survive. But I would ask you, is that a vision for the future of coffee cultivation and coffee culture? In my view, definitely not. We need diversity of supply and origins and coffee qualities in order to continue developing our coffee culture and business and fulfill consumers' demands. Mm. I mean, if you really look at it in terms of quality, the coffee varieties, the different terroirs, they provide us with a huge spectrum of taste experiences and pleasure. But that comes at a price. So what I would see is that we need higher prices and we also must accept a widening of the price brackets between qualities. 
to then honor the real extra efforts for that extra product with even substantially higher prices. Mm. The other issue I see is that there is the environmental concern, increasing social and living standards, better agricultural practices, and that uh, the fact I mentioned of the higher quality differentiation. This is all desirable, but all these prospects, they come at a cost. We all, all involved in the coffee value chain have to work together towards these objectives, making sure that higher prices are paid to farmers to include those criteria. What's the key to getting higher prices to farmers? I think there are many efforts being undertaken worldwide by the industry, by groups like us, in order to bring higher transparency in terms of income to farmers. I think that's a very important issue we need to look at. But at the end, it's a matter of supply and demand. That fact we will not change. But what we will change, and I think the industry is also doing a great job, is by differentiating the products and showing more and more to the consumer what effort it is and it needs to bring a sound cup of coffee on their tables. It's a huge and tremendous effort if you really consider each bean is picked one by one and transported all over continents until it's on the tabletop. So that consideration has to be transported or is being transported to the consumer. But at the end, it's a, a function of supply and demand. Thank you very much, Pablo. No, thanks to you, Jeff. To round up this episode, we're speaking with Ricardo Pereira, Chief Operating Officer for Ally Coffee. Ally is part of the Montesanta Tavares Group, a coffee-focused umbrella organization involved in growing and selling predominantly Brazilian coffees. As of today, the group exports 5% of the 60 million bags of coffee that Brazil produces each year. In this interview, Ricardo details how Brazilian coffee producers manage to financially sustain themselves in today's environment of low prices. He challenges us to think outside the box to find solutions to the heavy environmental, societal, and financial challenges confronting coffee farmers. He paints a compelling vision where each bag of coffee purchased by a roaster is traceable, transparent, and financially sustainable for everybody. A big welcome to Ricardo Pereira from Ally Coffee. Lovely to have you here today. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Coffee is not really an industry that people want to work in anymore. The price of coffee has been low for 40 years historically. It's not even keeping up the real costs of inflation. And family farmers go, it's not for my children. Do you think that's the case in Brazil? Yeah, so Brazil is a different animal altogether. Brazil is the most developed country in terms of coffee technology, harvesting, processing. There was an exodus of people not wanting to work at farms several decades ago where people wanting to come to the city and then have a city life as opposed to a countryside life. So they started creating forms to create um, opportunities in order to you know, fulfill this gap that was living in terms of labor, you know, and then, you know, creating machine harvesting equipment that would do the job of several people. And that was a demand that was created because the, the shortage of labor for people to come and work on the countryside. It wasn't that they had the labor force 
to fulfill the demand that they needed. They didn't have the labor force, so they, therefore they started looking outside the box and finding ways through technology how they could you know, fulfill that demand. Brazilian producers really understand what their cost of production is. And you know, there's a supply and demand. Brazil produces a lot of coffee. Therefore, they have to be very efficient in order to be uh, sustainable economically. And I think they have done taking the necessary steps to poise themselves as a country that really take technology into their advantage. How is specialty coffee different to commodity coffee when it comes to production? If you think about specialty coffee, I think the name says it all. So special in terms of how, as a producer, you handle the product, attention to detail. Specialty coffee tends to yield a higher premium for the quality that it produces. So there is more income uh, to the people involved. Of course, there's all this complexity on like how much the farmer is really getting paid and how much money are the other players in, in the chain making and so forth. As an industry today, this is standard for quality that you know was created by the Specialty Coffee Association many, many years ago, saying that specialty coffee is a coffee that scores in a scale of points, 80 plus points. I believe that we have seen a jump in quality levels in the last several years, especially in the last five years. I've seen our producers producing higher quality coffees to the point that you have specialty roasters demanding a minimum of 85 points for their purchases. And then you leave a huge amount of coffee from 80 to 84 points out there um, in the market. And most of the time that coffee actually is traded as commodity coffee. My, my question is, are those coffees being rewarded properly for being a specialty coffee? That is a big question mark. What are the other risks that you see for the great coffee industry? Yeah, of course, that we have seen a lot of changes in climate change that is definitely impacting coffee tremendously. There's this push for producers to produce higher quality, and producers are working on increasing their quality year after year yes. after year, right? The only disconnect here has really been, been pricing. Right? As people increase their quality, price is not increasing in the same rate. My concern is that if we don't take a look and make a change moving forward, people are going to get discouraged and they're not going to be focusing on quality anymore. They will probably do something else. The producers have been crying for help for several years now. They have said and they have asked and they have partnered with their in-country organizations to become a voice for them as well in the global level. We have the specialty industry and smaller roasters making a push to pay more to the producers and reward them better based on quality. But my question is, what are the real big companies that are working on industrialized coffee in big volumes doing? Are they doing their parts? And I have seen, Jeffrey, in the last few months, bigger companies really trying to understand their role and how they could positively impact the chain, but they have to do more. They have to jump in and they have to understand more as a bigger player in this industry, in this market, what can they do to really make this a sustainable market for everyone. So if you look, you know, in the supply chain, we have had this demand for sustainability, yep. right? For companies to have practices and policies. 
in the social, environmental, economic realm, which is great. And then you have the traceability aspect as well that goes with it and people wanting to know where their product comes from. You know, Starbucks two days ago, I believe, released their traceability app where people can go to their stores and then buy a bag of coffee and uh, scan the QR code and then know where that coffee came from, right? And, and we are also seeing this shift, this transparency demand created you know, by consumers. I can go today to a Whole Foods, for example, and I can buy a bar of chocolate from a company in New York, and I can open that package and I can eat that chocolate, and inside of the package, I can see the positive impact that that company had by buying that chocolate, by paying X amount of dollars per kilo, and then converting it into a chocolate, and then his margin. That's the next step. So people are going to want to know how much did the producer make, and they are wanting to know now, and that is not going to go away. And the big companies are going to have to adjust to that. Think about this, Jeffrey, with me. Imagine that we have a chain in the perfect world where it's very sustainable. We're hitting the marks socially, environmentally, and economically. And there is the traceability aspect that we can know who produced that coffee. And then going a step further and developing a system where we know the pricing paid and made by each player in the chain. Imagine if we can know, here's the cost of production for that farmer, and this is how much money he made. He covered his cost, and this is the percentage that he made um, of profit. You know, how much did the miller or the exporter made? All right? How much did the importer distributor made? You know, how much did the roaster, how much did the retailer make, right? Imagine that we, we can understand each one's cost of operation, each one's challenges. You know, it's not a simple thing. It's a very complex. I understand that. But imagine if we, come up, we can come up with an acceptable percentage of profit made by each player in the chain, mm. where it's totally transparent. And then that consumer can go to a store and scan that bag of coffee. And he knows where that coffee came from, but he also knows how much the players involved in making that coffee made. It is a wake-up call that we are having. And I hope that as an industry, we really take that to heart and really start taking action and making positive impact that is going to last for the years to come. I think there's some really valuable lessons there for our audience to reflect upon it. So thanks so much, uh, Ricardo. Uh, It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Jeffrey. That's all this week for Fifth Wave. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear your thoughts at worldcoffeeportal.com slash fifth wave. This podcast was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. The music you're listening to is Richard James, winner of the Coffee Music Project 2019 and also runner-up in the Coffee Music Project Global 2020. This is the song he competed with, Great Outdoors by Richard James. Have a great week and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated.
What the hell is all the mystery? Age of anxiety. 